Most AM radio hosts in the USA are right-wing wackos. Why is that? Find out from my guest this week, Michael Harrison, the publisher of Talkers magazine, the Bible of talk media. Michael also hosts the podcast, The Harrison Rap. People with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituencies with whom they do their daily dance of affirmation, all part of the verbal stew in which we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Wrap, an examination of the past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Okay, let's get them tongues a-wagging. Michael Harrison on the way soon. I'm Graham Mack, and this is the Pod 20, where I count down the top 20 podcasts based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. At number 20 this week, it was simple. The Betty Broderick Murders. This is a true crime podcast from the LA Times. At 19, we will get past this. Sandy Tosvik. She has a daily perusal through her room of books. At 18, Table Manners with Jessie Ware. Jessie hosts a podcast about food and family and the art of having a chat, direct from her own dinner table, with her chef, who is her mum. Back to the chart in just a bit. Let's check in on Zoom with Piper Terrett from the Lockdown Lowdown podcast. Last time, I was telling you all about my new gig as an audiobook narrator. Did I tell you I've been offered another one? No. Got offered a second one. It's set in Victorian England. Actually, the first scene is in Brighton. It's oh. about this bloke who comes home from the sea and he has servants and all the rest of it. Right? So what you do is you do an audition piece first yeah. and you get accepted off that. Then once you've done that, you send them 15 minutes of audio the, of the, uh, and they, then they approve that and then away you go. Well, I'm still waiting on the approval of the 15 minutes. So I've been accepted to do it. Yeah. And they also like you to send a note to the author to get any advice oh yeah makes sense and the author listens to the 15 minutes so i got a note from the author and i can't remember what i sent but the author wrote this message back so now so now i'm thinking the author's heard the audio and has got a message from me and i open my email and the message back says not a whole lot really hero is part of an upper crust family kind of sarcastic Heroin is part of the ton, but not as lofty, kind of gutsy. No lower class dialects. And I thought, she hates it. She hates her own book. No, she hates what I've done to her book. <laughs> oh, she hates what you've done. <laughs> and her book must be her, you know, it's her life's work more than likely. And did that, did anything positive come across to you in what I just read you? No. So then the next sentence goes, basically, I let my narrators have full reign. Well, now I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, dealing with the authors has been the most entertaining part. I can imagine. So then she says, I let my narrators have full reign. I wrote the book, but you guys breathe life into the words. I'm not a harsh taskmaster. Smiley face, have fun. <laughs> and I thought, what the hell? How did she switch from starting with the not a whole lot really was her opening line yeah so i must have i thought i've sent something going i hope you like just let me know what you think of the 15 minutes yeah and she's it looks like she's gone not a whole lot really and then she's so i looked at what 
I'd sent, and I'd sent, hi, her name. I'm looking forward to narrating, title of the book. What do I need to know about dialects, direction, etc.? And she's gone, not a whole lot, really. So it is all good. Nobody common, please. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was thinking, because, you know, I got a chip on my shoulder as big as anybody else about growing up <laughs> in not aristocracy. Oh, me too, every day, yeah. <laughs> It's the Pod 20 on Podcast Radio. I'm Graham Mack. And number 17 this week is Undiscussable with Charlie Webster. It's a heavy podcast, this, presented by Charlie, who you've probably seen as a host on Sky Sports. It's all about domestic abuse. Charlie, what is domestic abuse? That's a really good question, actually, because we don't understand it. So what domestic abuse is, is not how the media portray it. It's not an argument. It's not a big aggressive man giving a cowering weak female a black eye. That's not what domestic abuse is. Domestic abuse is about power and control. And then the perpetrator does everything once they have the power and control to maintain the power and control. So they use any means possible, whether that's through financial control, through emotional control, through sexual control, through control of children, through violence, or yeah, through, or through emotional abuse. So it's about using those different behaviours to control somebody and using isolation as well. Like a perpetrator often very slowly and subtly gets rid of anybody that can empower that victim. So are there victims who don't even know they're victims? The majority of victims don't really know... They're victims until they're out of the situation or until it gets so, so, so bad. The reason being is not the victim's fault. It tends to be because perpetrators are extremely subtle. So, for example, like, bear with me. If you and me went on a date, right, you know, we'd have a nice time. (laughs) And if you leant over the table and physically hurt me, right, I would walk away straight away and I'd be like, oh my gosh, this guy is horrific and I'd call the police, okay? And you know, you know, I'm talking about me and you, but I'm talking about any relationship and any sexual orientation. Now, if we got to know each other and you really charmed me and you were so kind and you were so lovely and, you know, maybe I was about to go and see a friend, but you said, no, 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 stay in with me tonight. I really want to spend more time with you. And I'd be like, oh, that's so lovely. That's so romantic. And that's how it starts. And then very subtly forms of control come in without you even realizing it. You might not even realize that the person's trying to control you by trying to stop you from seeing other people around you. Then once you're in that situation, once you're isolated, once you rely on that person, all of a sudden you realize that your independence, dependency has kind of disappeared and gone. And then how do you get out of that situation? Because also you love that person. So it's very, very complex. Why do they stay with people once they realise that this is wrong? Because it's very, very hard to leave. And it's, you know, that's the reason why we named that episode. Um, Why don't they just leave? Because I think it's one of the most common questions. And it's, you know, it's not the general public's fault. Because actually you're like, oh my God, why don't you just leave? And you go back to the example I just gave you. If you did that to me in a restaurant and I didn't even know you, then I, would know where, I wouldn't go anywhere near you. But that's the thing is they do know that person. 
they're spending their life with their person. They spend all that time with their person and that person. And they make excuses for that person because they love that person. But the thing is, the perpetrators are extremely clever. And it's not as simple as just leaving. I mean, for example, I'll use my own family. Um, there was control by our finances. So, you know, if my mum or a victim left, then they had nothing. They'd be completely homeless. This was your this was your stepfather, right? Yeah. Okay. If a victim wants to try and leave, there's a lot of financial control around it. So a lot of victims have leave with nothing. Me and my mum left with two little bags and less than fifty pounds. You know, it's not that easy. A lot of victims, all their family and friends have been cut off, so they have nowhere to go. Even going to refuges, the refuges turn victims down all the time, every single day, because there isn't enough room. So where are they supposed to go? On the street or back into a dangerous situation. Also, there's hardly any refuges for men. So where do men go? Um, again, there's very ha- hardly any safe places for people in the LGBT community to go. But also, when a victim leaves is actually the most dangerous time. So that's when we often see deaths, sadly, is when the person's trying to leave. And the reason why is because when the perpetrator feels like they are losing control and they've lost the control, that's when they're at their most dangerous because they will do anything to control that person, including killing them and killing themselves, which is what we've seen happen a lot during this lockdown, but that was happening a lot beforehand. I mean, I'll use the stat of women, two to three women are killed every week in England and Wales alone at the hands of their partner or ex-partner. And that tends to be when they're trying to leave the situation. So there's so much more to understand that. And, um, you know, in the episode called Why Don't They Just Leave, we explained that. We explained it from, you know, a female and a male point of view. I mean, there was one male in my um, podcast who he tried so many times and he did actually leave, but she wouldn't leave him alone. She even spread around the community um, that he was a child sexual perpetrator and he went to the police so many times and the police were like oh look it's just an argument it's just an argument I mean she attacked him from behind in the middle of the street so it is not as simple as just leaving because even often when they do leave they still aren't left alone and then also they use children as a form of control as well because the perpetrator will try and get custody of the children to make sure that the victim stays with them or goes back to them. So it's so, so complex. It's really important we understand that. Charlie Webster and an important podcast, Undiscussable, which is number 17 on this week's chart. At 16, The Infinite Monkey Cage. It's a look at the world through scientists' eyes with Brian Cox and Robin Ince. 15, Desert Island Discs. This week's castaway is the conductor, Charles Hazelwood. 14, It's the Michael Harrison rap from Michael Harrison. Michael's a broadcasting veteran and he publishes the Talkers magazine, which is an online. It started out as a magazine. Now it's an online publication in the USA. It's the Bible of talk media, including talk radio. Michael, you're self-isolating at your home in Florida right now. You're a proponent of free speech and democracy. So I'm guessing 
you're okay with people in the state of Florida protesting about lockdown. I don't have a problem with them protesting at all. I may think they're stupid. I, I may think that that I, I may think that it's dangerous. I may. I'm not saying I do. I'm talking theoretically. What do I personally think about it? I'll tell you right up front. We're caught between a rock and a hard place. Neither side is right. We have to open the economy, but we got to do so carefully because if we don't do it carefully, we're going to be back and isolating forever. We don't know the you know until we have a vaccine, we don't know the the full dimensions of this issue, this this enemy that we're fighting. But no, I support the right to protest. I support the right to have problems and express them with the government, with power, speaking to power. I think that's what makes America, America. But it doesn't mean I like some of the things that are said and and let the argument begin. And that's what really good talk radio is about. Yeah. Is, is, is let's fight it out. Americans have always fought. You built on a revolution. Yeah. It's a fight. You know, we're the Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So people like the anti-vaxxers and everything, as long as, as long as it's, it's spirited debate is okay. I, I think so. I, I, I do. Of course, you know, if, if you don't have an educated population, if you don't have good education, and you don't have goodwill, good spirit among people, then democracy is a terrible idea. So if for a First Amendment to work, for a democracy to work, for the voice of the people to have some weight in public policy, it's dependent upon people being educated, and it's dependent on people being more good than they are bad which in general people are there are more good people than bad people in the world that's what we always have to hope huh no i believe it i think i think there are i think there are i think deep down most people most people are good people but you see in totalitarian countries where people will give up their freedom for security it's in places where ultimately people don't trust each other when people don't trust each other when people turn to the government to be the arbiter of uh, justice, to even at the barrel of you know of a gun, that's because they don't trust each other. For a democracy and a free society to work, people have to be just as you've just said. They have to have the general faith that the default nature of humanity is to be good. Because if the default nature of humanity is to be bad, and this goes back to the earliest philosophies of angels and devils and, and God and, 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 and the devil and good and evil, uh, if people are basically bad, then, then how can you have freedom? You, 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 you have to have some type of force to keep people from exercising these bad things. So it, it all, it all comes down to philosophy. Michael Harrison and the Michael Harrison rap number 14 this week. You can hear it every Saturday at 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. on podcast radio. At 13, it's the Adam Buxton podcast. 12, it's fake doctors, real friends from Zach and Donald, Zach Bramf and Donald Faison's weekly comedy podcast. You probably know them from Scrubs. 11, another comedian it's Catherine ryan telling everybody everything back to the charts soon but i want to check in again with michael harrison now michael you're a big proponent of free speech is it in good shape in the usa right now 
free speech is never okay. Free speech is always in trouble, not only in the U.S., but around the world. Free speech is one of those things that uh, you have to constantly be vigilant to protect. They, they, it is one of the most difficult things to support. The First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States has been my primary political platform. I try not to become identified too closely with the left or the right, the Democrats, the Republicans. I support them all. Free speech, I'm very vehement about. It's very easy to support speech with which you agree. It's very difficult, even though theoretically I'll defend, you know, I'll, I may not agree with what you say, but I'll defend to the death. You know, that, that sounds what's wonderful rhetoric, but it doesn't always work. And quite often when you are in a situation such as I am, especially in a polarized environment, people will immediately jump to the conclusion if you're defending the right of someone who may be heinous, heinous, odious, disgusting, the right for them to have their say or expression in the marketplace of ideas, they immediately assume you endorse it, that, that, that you are you know, you support a communist's right to speak, you're a commie. You support a, a fascist right to speak, you're a fascist. Uh, you support a liberal's right to speech, you're a liberal. You support a conservative, you're a conservative. So this is, a, this is a, um, a challenge that I have faced my entire career, and it, it continues on. The thing that, uh, and I won't get too long-winded about this, uh, you're asking provocative questions. The thing about free speech in the United States that's often misunderstood is the difference between the, the rights granted by the First Amendment and the very concept of free speech. Free speech is an amorphous term that really doesn't mean much. There's no such thing as free speech. Every time you say something, you're going to get blowback. You know, you're going to say something, someone won't like you. No, it doesn't guarantee you the right to be liked. The First Amendment is specific. It protects the citizen from government censorship or government persecution for having a political idea. It, it protects you from the government. It doesn't protect you from being boycotted. It doesn't guarantee you a soapbox. It doesn't mean a radio station has to hire you or a newspaper has to print your letter to the editor. It doesn't guarantee you anything other than freedom from government interference in your position. And that's where a lot of people don't get it. And that's where it gets blurry. And I'm glad I'm having the chance to point that out here. But if it's a government, like, for instance, the FCC that regulates broadcasting in the USA, that is the government, isn't it? Yes, and it is the government. And all of these principles in the real world break down under the harsh scrutiny of real life. You know, <laughs> it's like free speech unless it doesn't give you the right to say fire in a crowded theater. All right. Well, what does fire in a crowded theater mean? Is that a metaphor? Is, is, is Does it literally you can't say fire in a crowded theater or does it mean you can't say the coronavirus is going to kill us all, you know, in, in, in the next 10 minutes? Run, <laughs> you know, jump in the ocean, inject yourself. Do, you know, what does that mean? So, yeah, these these are theoretical philosophical guidelines, and that's why we have lawyers, and that's why we have degrees of law, and that's why we have books, and that's why people go to university, uh, and that's why 
hopefully Homo sapiens will continue to have the ability to engage in abstract reasoning because these things are not cut and dried. Michael Harrison from Talkers in the USA and more from Michael in a bit, including the real reason why American AM talk radio is dominated by angry Republicans. This is the Pod 20. I'm Graham Mack. We're counting down the top 20 podcasts right now based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. Number 10 this week, it's Off the Menu with Ed Gamble and James Acaster. The comedians Ed and James invite special guests into their magical restaurant to choose their favourite starter, main course, side dish, dessert and drink. At number 9, Today in Focus from The Guardian newspaper. Actually, let's check back in with Michael Harrison now before we get to the top eight. So, Michael, most U.S. radio hosts come from the right of politics. Why is that? First of all, to clarify, in commercial news talk radio, yes, it, um, it overwhelmingly leans to the right and has an audience that um, enjoys that. The bigger picture of talk radio includes public radio, which does not lean to the right, includes a lot of um, cultured t- uh, talk show hosts. We used to call them shock jocks, but that term has lost its relevance on, on FM radio stations that have music on them. They tend to be more moderate uh, to liberal. And um, urban radio, talk radio, and music radio geared to the African-American community tends to be moderate to um, supportive of the Democratic Party and uh, and liberal. So when we talk about right-wing radio and right-wing talk radio, we're talking about a very successful, high-profile, highly influential slice of the bigger picture of spoken word radio, which also includes sports talk. I always have to get that out of the way because I'm the publisher of Talkers and quite often people say, oh, you're a right winger. And I go, no, 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 no. There's more to us than just right wing radio. Although I personally am very supportive of right wing radio because I think it uh, serves a segment of the public that has long been underserved by the mass media. And that's one of the reasons that it is so powerful and so popular is that it came along in the late 80s as a true alternative to what most of the the media was doing. And when I say most of the media, I mean Hollywood, I mean television, I mean ABC, NBC, CBS News, the New York Times. This whole establishment of media tended to be from the perspective of an American citizen who considered themselves to be a conservative. They felt alienated. They felt left out. So by programming to that segment of the population, a very strong, loyal audience was built. Concurrently, the Republican Party took advantage of that and was very friendly and very supportive of talk radio, where the Democratic Party wasn't as active in creating relationships with the talk radio world. And, and, and that's, that's one of the reasons. There are a lot of other reasons for it, but, but basically it, it found a, a cause and it served it. From a broadcasting standpoint, Graham, people that are card-carrying conservatives are a much easier target audience to serve, or I should say are a easy, are an easier audience to target because of certain like-minded attitudes that they have across the board of their life. Whereas people that might vote uh, for the Democrats or might describe themselves as liberal, it only goes that far. 
there are more of a, a diversity of types of lifestyles of socioeconomic categories that come under that umbrella and thus makes it more difficult to target a progressive or a liberal audience. Um, if anything, the thing that has galvanized the progressives more than anything I've seen in the in the last 30 years has been Donald Trump. He's given them a reason to to galvanize, but it, it just doesn't there aren't big talents in that area either. I've often said the trends go where the talent lies. And you've had Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and Mark Levin. And I mean, there are all these great talents that happen to be conservative. Yeah. Uh, a case could be made. Maybe if the liberals had great talents like that, um, it might have been different. Michael Harrison. And you can hear the Michael Harrison rap at 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. every Saturday on podcast radio. At number eight on the pod 20 this week, it's Happy Place with Fern Cotton. Number seven, No Such Thing as a Fish, the podcast from the writers of QI. And at six, it's another Michael Harrison podcast. Yeah, he's got the Michael Harrison rap on the chart, but he's got another podcast called the Michael Harrison Interview, and that made it to number six. Michael, this podcast used to be called Up Close and Far Out. Why did you change the name? I changed it at the advice of a lot of people who felt that the word far out kind of stigmatized me as an old hippie. (laughs) 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 That it was bad branding. I love the name Up Close and Far Out. So do I. That's why I was disappointed when it changed. Enough powers that be said, get rid of that. (laughs) So, you know, no man is an island. I'm not an independent operator. I work with other companies. I I, I am an independent operator, but I'm not a a sole, I'm not a one-man show. Yeah. And basically, I was advised by a number of uh, bright people that uh, the product is Michael Harrison, not some vague concept up close and far out, and that um, a lot of people just didn't get it. What? What does that mean? That makes sense. Uh, So that was why. Yeah. But I love the whole microcosm, macrocosm aspect of up close and far out. And hey, far out, man, that's a cool expression. You know, just because something is dated (laughs) doesn't mean it's bad far out you know it's we're in the space age <laughs> it's far out but uh that's all it was um you know the michael harrison interview is uh, more marketable in the in the minds of many than something called up close and far out for anyone that hasn't heard it it's uh, it's a long form i suppose we'd call it a long form interview show with a single guest each week You've had some terrific guests on there. Some of my favourites have been some of the archive stuff you've dug up. Uh, Timothy Leary, Rush Limbaugh, and a classic with George Harrison. Why that is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or somewhere important, I don't know. It was a terrific interview at a really interesting time in Harrison's life. There's a lot of things that are not in Halls of Fame that should be, not just in rock and roll, but uh, in every every realm. (laughs) Do you have a favourite interview? It's it's hard to say. Some of the interviews on that podcast were ones that I did before I was doing the podcast, you know, from the archives. The George Harrison interview was one of my favorites of all time. The Timothy Leary interview that you mentioned, one of my favorites of all time. But I've interviewed, you know, some really great scientists and thinkers, which is my own personal interest. I interviewed Buckminster Fuller. I had the last interview with him. I, I knew Marshall McLuhan. I've interviewed presidents of the United States. So I don't have one interview 
that is uh, my favorite. I could give you the flip answer that I always give, uh, but I respect you too much. Uh, I would say, my favorite interview I've ever been involved in is this one right now, <laughs> because what else matters okay. but the present? So, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> I don't know which one is my favorite. I've been very blessed to have had a career that has offered me the opportunity to interact with some of the biggest players of our time. And that is the key. In your interviews, you do interact. It, it's, it's, as, as you get deeper into it, it becomes more of a conversation. And we find out nuggets about you too. And the guest reacts to, to, to Michael Harrison as you react to the guest. It, it, no, it's, it's a really, really nice thing. Yeah, if somebody's coming to me because they want to do a quick 10-minute plug for their book or their product or something that they were hired to be a spokesman for, forget it. They're not going to like being interviewed by me because if you're going to be interviewed by me, you're going to have to have a conversation with me. Not a, I'm not a journalist go, you know, asking a question and then a follow-up and, you know, and then I'm going to go write the story. It's more a dialogue. It's a conversation. And, and, and I think that that is an art form. I view radio and I view podcasting and I view interviewing or being interviewed, as I am in this case, as a form of a dance, as, as an art form. And, um, and that's the way I do it. And I'm extremely flattered that you see it that way, that you see my work that way, because that is what I intend to do when I do these interviews. It's drama. Michael Harrison. It's the Pod 20. I'm Graham Mack with the countdown of this week's Top 20 podcasts. And at number five, Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's Lockdown Parenting Hell. Number four is Chris and Rosie Ramsey, Shagged, Married, Annoyed. Number three, down a place this week, Peter Crouch, who last week, you probably remember, was stuck in the number two slot. He's down to number three this week with that Peter Crouch podcast. Number two, the Joe Rogan Experience. It's the podcast that's worth 100 million US dollars. And this week's number one. For the fifth straight week, it is Grounded with Louis Theroux. That's it for this episode of the Pod 20 on Podcast Radio. I'm Graham Mack, and thanks to this week's guest podcasters, Michael Harrison, Charlie Webster, and Piper Terrett. My guest next week is the former Newsnight host, Gavin Esler. He's got a great new podcast out. It's called The Big Steel, which is all about major corruption at the Kremlin. And the podcast makes the point that Russia wants to subvert democracy. Why do they want to do that, Gavin? It's not because they want... I think, you know, I've talked to lots and lots of people about this. It's not because any particular outcome from this person, this candidate or that person is, is the advisable outcome. It's because they want to keep democracies confused. And it's quite easy. Uh, well, to give you an example, I went to the cyber warfare conference, uh, which a lot of NATO people, a lot of cyber experts, a lot of counterintelligence people go there. It was in Estonia. Estonia was cyber attacked by Russia about 15 years ago. And what they did was there was a there was a political row, which we didn't get into. But the point was that they brought down the banking system and made telecommunications somewhat difficult. And it was a kind of trial run. And since then, NATO, for example, has tried to harden our abilities to counteract this kind of thing. And I talked to a couple of people who were NATO observers at this conference. I said to them, are we actually in cyber terms at war with Russia and he said 
just because we're not at war with Russia doesn't mean to say Russia is not at war with us, which was quite an interesting comment. And another one said, we can harden our systems very easily. In other words, we can perhaps prevent ways in which people can get into our computers, to put it simply. But we have to also harden our minds to some of the nonsense that we see on the internet about vaccination, for example, about coronavirus, 5G. I mean, these kind of... Humans have always passed on silly stories, but there are so many of them now, and it's so easy for them to spread very quickly. You'd think there'd be fewer because people have got a phone in their hand and they can fact check. That idiot in the pub that tells you something and you used to go like, oh, is that a fact? And you walk away going, I'm not sure about that. Now you can just go, nah, he's talking bollocks. But you would think it would have gone the other way. It's all out there. The truth is out there, as they used to say in that old (laughs) sci-fi series. But, you know, uh, look, let's... We're all pressed for time. We live in an attention poor world. We're kind of attention. We all suffer a bit from attention deficit disorder in a way, which is it's just so much going on. Sifting through stuff is actually quite difficult. And it's particularly difficult for the hard of thinking. And so the, the bloke in the pub who does that, who's who's got a friend whose brother was in the Navy with somebody <laughs> who once heard that, you know, whatever. We've all heard those kind of stories, but there's a lot more of it. And it's very... The trouble is some of it comes from people you trust. I mean, occasionally, I don't know if it happens to you, somebody I know passes something on and says, what do you think of this? And my immediate response is, where did you get this? You know, who who sent you this? Why, Why am I reading this? Which seems on the face of it nonsense. Gavin Esler, who will be my guest next week on the Pod 20. And what will happen on the podcast chart by then? Will Louis Theroux be number one for a sixth week? Or will your favourite podcast knock him off? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart by making a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.